Hello, welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today we're reviewing the movie Drive. This is episode 138. Caution, this episode is explicit due to some language and, uh, you know, some descriptions of violence in the context of of, uh, talking about the film are inevitable because this film is quite violent. As with the the other movie ones, I uh, will have a non-spoiler section. I'll have the shout-outs and then I will have the straight-up spoiler section. All right? So, let's go. Um, basically, I think that uh, Drive is, uh, well, a more unique type of movie that, you know, people were expecting a big action thing, but really it's just, it's not. It's more of a quiet sort of thing. It's a quiet, minimalist film, for those who don't know. And if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to tell you it's not for everyone, but if if you like if you like slow burn, more minimalist things that focus on aesthetic and atmosphere, then this is going to be right up your alley, because... Well, you know, Drive is just kind of a a little thing about the duality of man, like in a, in a way, like I I can I can explain it without giving things away, but uh, we know from the start that he's a getaway driver, and that he also has a bit of a quieter life. He barely says anything. He has friends around him, but yeah, that's all I can really say without giving spoilers. But uh, yeah, there's there's actually a hell of a cast in this one. You know, Brian Cranston, Ryan Gosling, Albert Brooks. Yes, that Albert Brooks. Christina Hendricks, uh, you know, we've got a few more, Oscar Isaac, Ron Perlman, and yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. I, I never expected before this movie to see Albert Brooks as a scary role, and he actually pulls it off pretty well. I think a lot of people tend to forget that Albert Brooks was uh, in a role in Taxi Driver that, well, you know, he, was, he wasn't playing a scary role there. He was playing more of a, a politician campaign helper thing of you know, you know what I mean, but, uh, yeah, he can, he can really act, he really can, and people say comedians can act given serious roles as well, and they can play comedic and serious, you know, look at Robin Williams, look at Adam Sandler, although I know people prefer Adam Sandler's serious stuff, but when he tries, he can also be good at comedy too, it's just he phones it in too much. Why am I getting on a, why am I getting on a rant about, uh, that, I guess? Maybe because I just really like how Albert Brooks is in this movie, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, so, moving on from that, um, I really, uh, I really also want to say that, uh, did you know that Brian Cranston improvised most of his scenes? And he actually, on a side note, he meant, he met creator of Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan, um, he was helping on the X-Files, Vince Gilligan, um, and an episode called Coincidentally Drive within that show. Now there, Brian Cranston played a villain. Vince cast him in Breaking Bad because of that, and that show got him cast in Drive, so there you go. And over at Mark Platt Productions, Mark Platt and a- Adam Siegel saw a review of the book in a publishing... It, yeah, it's based on a book, this uh, this movie. it's was in a Publishers Weekly issue that this review was in, and uh, one of them was like, hey, uh, this description seems cool. And I quote, the Publishers Weekly thing said the driver was the kind of character you rarely see anymore. He was a man with a purpose. He was very good at one thing and made no apologies for it. Now, Mark Platt thought it reminded him of someone in the movies like, you know, Clint Eastwood. And in fact, this draws plenty of comparisons to the man with no name from the Do- Dollars trilogy. Um, yeah, I mean, one of them, I think one of them says Joe. I've seen the first and the third one, not the second one, and they can, seems like they can be watched in any order, those ones, Sergio Leone, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I 
it's uh, it's interesting because it's really sort of an old school film in a way. Like, it's very 80s, despite being in the present day, which I like that retro aesthetic. If there's anything you got to know about me, I love vintage, just love it. And I could go on all day about vintage and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, well, I, I really do think the oversaturated colors, I would usually complain about the whole teal and orange Hollywood trend, but I think it's justified in films like this and Only God Forgives and Mad Max Fury Road. But yes, it is a popular colouring trend that uh, is used in way, way too many movies, mainly from the 2000s onward. And, you know, you have even the dramas and comedies started using it, you know, like it's, yeah, first of all, it was the action films. Then we can all track that back to Oh Brother, We're Out Thou, technically, which used the colour thing well in terms of the sepia-ish tones. But, you know, that's a whole other story. Nothing to do with drive. Okay, only the colour. You know what I mean, the colour processing. Yeah, it was like digital. Okay, anyway, anyway. So, yeah, most songs from this movie were from the late 2000s to the early 2010s, believe it or not, because, you know, it's like, it sounds so 80s, and, well, honestly, I can't get real human being out of my head. (laughs) And, yeah, I actually think the songs are part of the dialogue in this movie. I know there's very little dialogue in this movie, but, you know, the songs seem to comment on the action much like they're doing Goodfellas, in a way, like, sort of. You know, it's just, uh, it's more minimalist, obviously. Like, you, in Goodfellas, you have the narration, you have everything going on, you have the then the music on top of it, but Drive is more just kind of laid back, minimalist, occasional bursts of violence, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I feel like the music tells a bit more of the perspectives than the dialogue. I mean, you can also, the music and the non-verbal communication, which is what this film is fantastic with, And yeah, people criticize it for having, oh, people just staring at each other. But trust me, I've seen Only God Forgives and well, that has a lot more of that. And again, I was, I was lukewarm on Only God Forgives. I didn't really enjoy it um, as much. I know a lot of people hated that one as well. So yeah, same director as Drive. Yeah, I just thought I'd say, I think Drive is the better movie and Only God Forgives is a bit more... uh, you know, symbolic, in equally symbolic, but, you know, not in the Stanley Kubrick way, just in the sort of, yeah, I can see what they're doing, but no. Whereas in Drive, it's like, well, I can I can see what they're doing with the symbols, and it's a bit obvious, but that's okay. It's a simple tale. It's a simple tale told well, through minimalism and visuals and striking colours, yeah? But, uh, yeah. I also uh, I also do think that I should say that uh, you may notice Ryan Gosling in this movie has his uh, thumbs on top of the wheel. Stunt drivers put their thumbs on top of the wheel because, basically, if they get in the crash, they won't injure their thumbs. So that's why he's kind of driving it that way. Me, myself, I've never driven. I haven't gotten a license yet or anything. I haven't really trained. I mean, I'm I'm like 19 years old. So, you know, I mean, I'll get to drive one day, I'm sure, I'm sure. But yeah, so yeah, apparently most people have the thumbs under the wheel when they're driving, so I never knew that. But I thought that was an interesting little tidbit for you all, all right? But uh, yeah, now I feel like it's about time I get into spoiler territory because I've mentioned, oh, one more thing I want to mention that's in the not spoiling thing is that uh, basically the reason there's so little dialogue 
um, especially from uh, Ryan Gosling and Carrie Mulligan, is because both of those actors were like, they were insisting, well, it'll work so much better. We want to try this nonverbal thing um, without the dialogue. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, they were like, yeah, we want to try it. We'll refuse to say the lines and we just want to pare it down to the absolute essentials. And it works better than films that have over-exposition. Now, as much as I like, like Christopher Nolan... Well, he over he has tons of overexposition, but I won't get into that right now. Anyway, now let's get into the shoutouts, and then after the shoutouts, I will go into spoiler territory, alright? Shoutouts to the following people. Tessie Cat, Elsie Cool, Phil Marmatic, Mabe Unicorn, Contrera, Where Next Japan, The Poppin' Fizz... Sorry, sorry, that's... I keep forgetting... I, I, okay, their new name is The Fizz... Popcast. They are the Fizz Popcast. I, I keep screwing up the name, I'm sorry. Um, Ashy Slashy, The Chris White, Apple Park Films, Schlock Luster Video, Eloisa Hilton, Autistic in Melbourne. I, uh, I'm i pretty sure that, uh, yeah, I I I apologise. I think I might have forgotten uh, Teacup Arenos, um, who I know from the past, I know that uh, they are a fan of this director. Um, Naked Airplane is a Another one that I got a shout out. I got a shout out. Real Sharks, W-rated pod. Um, Cinematics podcast. Larry films with Amy Sam from IJ. Zeus caution spoilers. JGWI Elsa one. Mice and Sin company. Still mellow. Zach Ascot. Heavenly imagine and Eric's loss. So yeah, that's. Uh, I get. I guess that's. I guess that's everyone to shout out. And now, I will get fully into spoiler territory. So if you've never seen Drive, you may want to watch the film and then come back, and I'll just give more specific thoughts on it, and I'll try to. Uh, give some little tidbits as well, you know, but, uh, yeah, so spoiler alert from now, so, yeah, the opening car chase shot within the car was inspired by, and I quote, the perspective of a diver in an ocean of sharks, so apparently due to the lack of time and money, it took two days to film the scene, two cameras were in the car on either side, but it was easiest to make them stationary, and also the lighting was turned down, and the cameras were lower, and yeah, so, yeah, apparently because LA is much better than it looks, and downtown LA, that's what I mean, but yeah, they really wanted to push that 80s rundown sort of feel, so that's how I'd put it anyway, but yeah, I think that uh, that was the first time I saw a scene done like that just inside the car, except give or take one or two shots or whatever, but yeah, I really like the way they did that, it's good to experiment with how you do things, and that was something because you know you mainly stayed with the people in the car and I feel like that gives more uh, more attention to the scene I just uh, I was reading on Twitter just before the episode well I d- like someone who didn't believe car chases really had tension or proper stakes and well yeah I mean I I can see how people would get that from this but it's an introduction I like to see how he drives to get away from the situation safely and for that it's a good scene so yeah um, as for car chases not having any stakes, I mean, come on, I mean, if you have a great villain, if you have characters who are great, you know, you can establish, you know, interpersonal dynamics, you can establish stakes, you can establish things, you know, what if they catch up to them, what if the cars are fast, yeah, they're always fast, it's a car chase after all, but, uh, yeah, I, I find that it's full of suspense at least, so, yeah, Never underestimate car chases. That is what I say. So, yeah. The director of this film, Mr. Winding Refn, consulted Gaspar Noé, of all people, about... Oh, 
my absolute favourite scene dramatically in this movie, um, the elevator scene. Now, everyone who's seen this film knows the elevator scene. And, uh, yeah, like, here's what I think. The way that it just goes from romance to pure violence. I mean, Ryan Gosling is smashing this man's fucking face with just just by stomping on him and it is a brutal sight to witness and we just you know Ryan Gosling was kissing Carrie Mulligan just earlier and then he turns around bumps the guy into the wall and yeah just stomps his face seemingly clean off I mean anytime violence happens in this movie it's just brutal and yeah it's it's all the better for it because I believe the film has a lot to do with duality. You know, there's a scorpion side and the frog side, and that is, of course, relating back to the scorpion and the frog. And the tale which the movie references, just in case you don't know the original tale, I'll just quickly explain that. A frog and a scorpion negotiate. So the scorpion will get him across without stabbing the frog, of course. Now, they make it halfway. The frog is stung. The scorpion justifies it by their nature. This explains the scorpion on the driver's back of the jacket. And yeah, indeed, there's a, there's a shot later that I quite liked of that. That is, uh, yeah, I, I'll, mention, I'll mention the shot later. But uh, among other things, that head stomping scene in the elevator was supposedly inspired by, or at least influenced slightly by, a movie that I've never seen and will likely not watch um, irreversible. Um, apparently it's a very triggering film for a lot of people. It's not because of that, but it's because apparently they have a very low frequency tone in that film that's supposed to make you nauseous. So yeah, I think I'm going to stay away from that one just because of that. But yeah, apparently because in Irreversible, um, there's a similar head smashing scene with a fire extinguisher, which inspired Mr. Winding Refn to, uh, consult Mr. Noe and, try to uh, make a scene that was just as authentic in terms of the consequences. So yeah, um, yeah, I was going to say CGI was avoided for the film, but apparently the gore was in post-production, whereas the blood was really on set. So yeah, that's why it's mostly blood and you just see, I guess, bits of gore. And uh, yeah, this, it, this honestly, like it's violent. It definitely is. It's graphic, it's violent. I saw this when I was 14, I was appropriately taken aback, and yeah, the way they use it is just, I like how they make the film deliberately quiet, so that everything just stands out, you know, it's just, whenever you have, whenever you have too much, like, I believe it was a sound engineer, I can't remember which one right now, but he was saying something about if you have it loud for how, whoever knows how long, like, uh, I don't know, say hypothetically in Man of Steel or something, um, you forget what it's like to be quiet. And I would agree with that point. And this film is very quiet in a lot of places. You know, it's mainly just dialogue and it's mainly just ambiance and it's mainly just this and that. And well, yeah, basically the opposite of how I'm talking right now. <laughs> oh man, jokes at my own expense, huh? Ah, well. Also, um, because of the film, for some reason, I, uh, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to look cool, um, for, like, I wanted to feel cool for myself, and so, just like the driver in the film, I, you know, was, I had the toothpick in my mouth the entire time, and I was like, well, yeah, now, now I'm in, now I'm, like, almost, it could be a cosplay if I found the right jacket and all that. Anyway, I digress. I'm saying that mainly as a joke. You know, it's, uh, it's cool to do little things when you're watching a film, I guess. Like, 
wear a corresponding shirt. I'm sure a lot of you do that. I'm sure a lot of you do similar things. You know, who who doesn't view drive with a toothpick in, in hand? <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what what else? Let's see what we have got in my uh, in my notes I compiled during the movie. So apparently the uh, elevator scene had to be cut down for the ratings boards. I'm not sure which one, however. But uh, yeah, considering that uh, America passed Hostel uncut, I think they would have been fine. But uh, yeah, so apparently the original book the film was based on had the story out of order. So it proved difficult to make into a film. Something easier about the book was that it was shorter. So yeah, um, I remember I don't read all that much. But when I do, I typically enjoy the book. Like, the last one I read, of course, was uh, Animal Farm by George Orwell. So, yeah, that's... I suffice to say I've not read the book for this one. And, yeah. I mean, if any of you have, maybe you can uh, tell your thoughts or something. I don't know. But, okay. So, apparently, the the mask that... uh, that Ryan Gosling wears as the driver can actually be be bought. Like there's a company called SPFX Masks that uh, indeed sells really realistic looking masks that uh, like the one he was wearing. So yeah, you can do that. And yeah, it remind like he puts it on for the for the last for some of the last scenes of the film. But uh, I'm just going to use that to segue to the fact that. Uh, Apparently, there was an ending filmed where the driver did die. The first time I saw this film, I was like, oh, they stabbed each other. Like, is he going to die? Are they going to die? What? And it turns out he kills Albert Brooks and just uh, he goes off scot-free. And yeah. So yeah, I uh, I I still I still love the fact they have a Panavision camera in the one of the early stunt scenes. That's like a little cool thing. I didn't know they'd be able to afford to borrow a Panavision camera. But, uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, just, uh, because I feel like the elevator scene's the centerpiece of the film, I want to say that, uh, I have a bit of a theory about, uh, the whole elevator in the movie. Now, the car park is shown early, it's during the opening credits, the elevator, which we go back to later, of course. So, yeah, we first pass Irene there, who is played by Carrie Mulligan. And then she will leave him there later, because, you know, he stumps a guy's fucking head in. Like, who wouldn't be scared? But, uh... To me, her passing foreshadows their entire basic, very basic relationship arc through the film. They they meet each other and have to split apart due to circumstances, and the circumstances are not really clear, but I feel like it's just, uh, it's a bit of a passing phase of his life. Like, you know, they, they're obviously neighbours, and they're obviously kind to each other, they obviously kind of like each other. But, you know, it'll just kind of pass by in the flash for him, and the film's not that long either, so... Maybe I'm just talking out of my bum, but, uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah, it's good to have theories, right? But, uh, yeah. So, I think the set design's minimalist, but still at times, striking. The restaurant with the tiles is one example. The The red tiles that you see multiple times in, uh, in, I forget the character's name right now, I, my apologies. But, yeah, anyway, moving on, moving on. I do feel like the non-verbal communication I was referring to earlier, um, the way that uh, Irene sort of kind of just blushes and smiles around him, that really establishes a chemistry non-verbally. 
I really like how they do that because I was, as I was saying before, they don't need to say many words. They don't say any words directly. They just let the simmering love be subtext. And, you know, it can never be. Like, it, I think that we know it can never really be um, because, you know, when her husband's released from prison and, uh, you know, I know that he gets killed off about 20 minutes later, but uh, still even given that opportunity, it just wouldn't feel right for her to move on so soon. So perhaps it would have been a bad circumstance for them to stay together and therefore he has to go. But again, that's a theory. I think the real reason he left was because obviously his violent lifestyle just really scared her. And so it should, you know, I believe that any, any decent person would be scared if uh, someone stumped a guy's head in, in front of you. So yeah. I uh, I was going to also say that uh, I do like this particular thing in the film. Um, it, the fact that uh, the fact that her husband's you know he's back from prison, and uh, you know he's telling about the first time he met uh, Irene, Carrie Mulligan's character, and uh, you know he's like, and what did you say? And then so she doesn't really respond, and so she looks at the driver instead, and you know she's paused. And she says, where's the deluxe edition? But I feel like it's like, well, she doesn't really mean him. She means, she means like, uh, the driver, of course. But, um, yeah, that, that's just, just what I think, I guess. But, uh, I feel like, I feel like that, uh, the way a song under your spell plays during the, one of the following scenes is like, I think it means the driver. I don't think it means Oscar Isaac. I think it means Ryan Gosling because yeah. I, that's just that's just my theory, because it seems obvious at first, but it's not. That is how to do something that seems obvious, but has an actual hidden layer of meaning. I'm, I, yeah, well, it was basically, that one scene was better than the entirety of Natural Born Killers. Any chance to hate on Natural Born Killers, I hate that movie with a passion, because it is not subtle at all, and it is repetitive, and it, okay, okay, somebody stop me. Ah, okay. I I don't like being too negative anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I do feel like that uh, this film also does something that only European things really do, and that's uh, during one point when the driver's threatening someone not to talk, um, he, uh, the camera stays on him, and uh, even when the guy briefly replies, you know. So, yeah, I was uh, just thinking that... uh, with the uh, other things that I just wanted to mention, I do want to point out the scene where Oscar Isaac is killed off. I know his character's called Standard, but yeah, I mean, who would want to be called Standard instead of just, uh, um, I don't know, the badass or something? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do like that the scene is quiet, no music, and then BAM! Just out of the blue. Gunshot. The fact that uh, he's just, he's just seems to just be going, going, gone within... S- seconds. I know that wouldn't realistically happen, but it's more dramatically effective, I guess, in terms of even just a crime thing. But uh, yeah, because you know it's going to change the plot heavily, and he was involved in it, and that bears real consequences for the world. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a gang act of violence, but uh, it has consequences, and that's what the best depictions of violence do. They have consequences on the plot, they have consequences everywhere. And uh, most people just mention the elevator scene. But uh, I do just want to say that uh, it's very unassuming, this one, until it happens. And 
Yeah, especially, but in the elevator scene, we have build-up because we see the gun in the man's pocket in the insert shot, and then we have the attack. But this is just, yeah, we have a bit of, I don't know, let's see how this goes when they walk in, but then, you know, just silence, waiting, and I guess that's a bit of a quieter suspense to that. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they both have it. They both have that quiet sort of suspense, but I feel like the, the gunshot one is just more sudden. So, yeah, it's uh, obviously, I think the elevator scene's the better scene. It's the scene that the movie would definitely be remembered for. And, yeah, it also helps me learn that Australia seems to rate violence more leniently than the United Kingdom. Um, it's 18 over in the United Kingdom, and it's uh, 15 plus in Australia. For whatever reason. I mean, I mean, those... Uh, I I believe, especially if you pause when Christina Hendricks dies in this movie, I believe that you can see a bit of her head almost split open, which I'm thinking that that's not something I would put under the 15 plus category, you know, um, even though you see it for like only a second or whatever, it's just, yeah, that in the elevator scene probably should have pushed it to an 18 plus and censorship. I'm very interested in censorship and how it works and that sort of thing, and, you know, the different censorship systems, who censors what, and, you know, which country censors which things, and I just, you know, I feel like I should do something on censorship one day. Um, Let me know if you would like that. Of course, I would have to mark that episode as very explicit, because it would be talking about censorship and graphic depictions of things, and yeah, I would love, like... I I don't I don't think I'll do it for now, but I would love to do an episode on censorship or I'd love to do something around censorship, you know, because it just really, really interests me, especially. But uh, yeah, another thing I wanted to mention here was, uh, of course, um, it, the, when I, I think that uh, Brian Cranston's character, Shannon, yeah, that's his name, Shannon, he dies because Albert, Albert Brooks, uh, I think, hurts him by taking a knife to him. Uh, I'm not going to say the details because that could potentially be triggering, but if you've seen the movie, you know what happens. Um, but uh, apparently it was Brand- Brian Cranston's idea, including um, what type of injury it was. But uh, yeah, that was, it was a bit surprising to see the mechanic um, get killed off like that, like literally no one's safe. And so you're thinking, well, that raises the stakes for the driver driver to die because we didn't expect the mechanic to go, but yeah, I think that uh, it's interesting because by the end, it's uh, Kerry Mulligan, Albert Brooks, and Ryan Gosling who are still alive. It, also, if you take the first names and the first initials, it's C-A-R, Kerry, um, Albert, and Ryan. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I just, you know, I thought I'd point something on the lighter side of things in case it was was getting a bit dark. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, I was just going to say that... Uh, Overall, this movie is in uh, a good time in terms of just a simple plot executed well, no particular big character development, no real character arcs. Like, you know, it's now that I think about it, all the characters are very static. They never really change, I think. None of the characters are dynamic. And this seems to break that rule because we're always told character arcs, you have to have your character one way and you have to have them the other way by the end of this. But no, this film defies that totally. And yet, and yet, it still works on atmosphere, aesthetic, and the mystery of who, just who the hell this driver guy is. So yeah, uh, I I feel like that uh, everyone's 
I have seen this movie, who is in the spoiler section. If you, by chance, have not seen this movie, well, first of all, you just got spoiled for everything. Second of all, I know some people who just don't mind spoilers at all, and I'm thinking, why? I hate when I get spoiled. And three, um, if you haven't seen the movie um, and you were one of those, like, you are one of those people listening who didn't mind spoilers and you were listening through and you were thinking, oh, this sounds interesting, then, yeah, go watch it. Um, if you were like, well, nah, now that I think about it, I'm good with the summary, or maybe the film was, like, going to be too violent for you, especially based on what I said, um, yeah, fair enough. Like, I, I get that this film will definitely be too violent for some people. But yeah, I I myself have seen a lot of things. I've seen stuff like uh I've seen stuff like Hostel, the house that Jack built. I've seen uh, this movie, I've seen Only God Forget. I've seen a lot of violent things. And so yeah, I mean, I can un- I can understand if people don't want to watch that stuff. But uh yeah, the at least at least for me this film didn't have any stuff toward animals. Like they did they didn't hurt any animals in this movie, which is you know, at least with humans, I'm going to go on a, an aside here just for a minute, but at least with humans, I know it's fake. With animals, you never know. I know there's the uh, American Humane Association and all that, but uh, yeah, they're complicated. Yeah, they've had some controversies. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I was going to say that uh, at least with humans, we know it's fake and it's part of a performance, if you will, in a movie, you know? So yeah, that's, uh, that, that's how, you know, if, if you get, if you get too bothered by something and you're afraid you're going to have nightmares and, and you want to cover your eyes for the violent parts and you're afraid you'll have nightmares if you accidentally see something and you do accidentally see something, I would say, yeah, just, just think that it's like props and stage blood and it's probably, I don't know, um, not not ketchup but uh something some red substance that's fake or you know probably just something else who knows but uh yeah just the blood the gore it's all just fake stuff and it just looks convincing and they try to have a certain verisimilitude so there you go i don't know why i just went on that whole ramble but i did anyway so Yes, I hope this was better than my Zombieland one. I was not used to reviewing films again on the podcast and when I did Zombieland, so sorry if that one was below par. Okay, so yeah. If you want to inspire, if you want to create, if you want to innovate, if you want to electrify, we need your voice. Because you can change things for the better. Now go change things for the better. Peace out.